going to continue our series, Wisdom for Living. And I'd like us to consider something in terms of how we may seek to apply Wisdom for Living. And it's this idea that if we ever hear or sense that God may be compelling us into a relationship with Him and we respond to this, this walk of faith, what we will see is that He will always seek to place us on a path that leads to life. And as we step into this relationship with him, and as we seek to walk this out on this life-giving path, inevitably, it's only a matter of time before we will start to deviate. And in those moments, because he loves us, he'll seek to give us course corrections. Seek to give us a, a word that is meant to bring us back to a point of life. And how we respond there how we respond to this loving involvement. Well, it makes all the difference. It makes all the difference. And I'd like us to sit with this. So in a way, consider what he may be saying to us right now in our lives. How he may want us to have some wisdom for a living. And, and so we're going to step into this. But I would, I would like to we pray over this word to, to invite his presence in the remaining moments that we have here. And... Uh, to ask for his blessing over this, this idea that uh, I believe represents his heart well. And so if you wouldn't mind joining me, I'd, Father, we just uh, we thank you for this opportunity we've been given. We've made our way to your house, God. We have uh, decided that in a, a new morning, at the beginning of a new week, to make our way into your presence. And so I pray that you would help us pause. That whatever is going on in our lives, in, in a way, would, 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 would be still. And that you would give us the ability to uh, hear your voice. To be able to glean some wisdom for our own lives, God. And as we remain open, as we exercise the ability to hear what you may be saying, I pray that you would help us hear not just what you long to say to us in terms of direction or how much you love us, but I pray that what would emerge would be something of a personal word for each one of us. We pray for your spirit to breathe life over these moments, God, over your word, that it would breathe into us, refresh us, inspire, encourage us, God. Help us continue to walk this out with you. We pray for your blessing over this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. See, if we, if we engage, if we respond to what God may be calling us into, we will find ourselves in the path that leads to life. And inevitably, it's only a matter of time before we will start to deviate. And in those moments, there are moments, unique moments, I would suggest, where God involves himself personally to give us course corrections. And how we respond, it, it makes all the difference. And this is one of those ideas that... Um, it reminds me of an incident in my life. It certainly wasn't the first moment in my life where I was corrected, but uh, it was a moment in my childhood in which I remember being particularly impressed, just kind of uh, something of an impression was made on me, that I was actually being corrected because I was loved. Uh, it was about 22 years ago. I was, uh, I was around 10 years old. And I remember... Um, I remember that I was go we were within walking distance. In fact, my parents still live there. Within walking distance from the grade school. And so I would just walk up the street and go to school. And I remember going in this particular year of, of going to that um, elementary school that it was a Wednesday. And that Wednesday morning, I remember hearing over the announcements that we were having something pretty special this afternoon. We were going to have the ice cream truck pull up outside of the school. 
And, and, and I remember hearing my classmates. Some of them were pretty excited. Some of them were surprised. Other of them, they were almost in the know. It was almost like their, their parents were the ones who organized this or something. And so they were excited. And, and I remember going through the day, and when, when the day let out, everyone, all the kids went to the ice cream truck, and he was playing his music, and the door was open, and all they were, they were getting popsicles and ice cream sandwiches and, and different types of ice creams and, and enjoying them. And I remember just watching this happen in front of me, and I, myself, didn't really have anything to be able to buy ice cream with because, see, I was given a lunch card, one of those lunch cards that you give to the cafeteria lady. She punches it, and then you're allowed to get your meal. And I remember um, watching that, not having anything, and just kind of everyone was enjoying it. And, and so I, I thought to myself, this is happening every Wednesday. So next Wednesday, I'm going to be one of them. And the week came, the next Wednesday came, and I remember this is Wednesday, this is the day I get my, my ice cream. And, and so I remember um, going up to my mom and saying, Mom, uh, can I get some ice cream money? The, the ice cream truck is going to come today at school. And, and I remember her saying, no, um, you have ice cream in the freezer. Uh, you don't need to pay somebody else for ice cream. You just come home and enjoy what's, what we have here. So, so no, you don't, you don't need ice cream money. And I remember just sitting there thinking, okay. And, and I thought, but we don't have It's It's. And <laughs> I really love It's It's. And, and the ice cream truck does. And as I was thinking about this, I, I kind of just, in my imagination, was drawn to this place, this, this drawer on the, uh, on the top of my father's dresser in their bedroom, in which he had a little container, a box, that had a lot of quarters in them. And, and I remember just thinking, remind, remembering that was there. And so I just said, OK, watch them. Saw when the most opportune time came, and they were not there. They were moving around, getting ready to leave. And I ran upstairs, opened that drawer, got a dollar twenty-five, put the dollar twenty-five in my pocket, ran downstairs, and acted a little bit more somber, and <laughs> made my way to school. And as I got to school, I realized I'm going to get my it's it. And throughout the day, I just felt so excited. And at the end of the day, I ran out to the ice cream truck, got there as close to the front as possible, and asked for my it's it. And I opened it up, and I just, just devoured it immediately, just enjoying every single bite. And I remember just walking down the hill from my school towards my house with kind of a skip in my step, you know, just so filled. I was like, I know what this is like. This is this awesome, guys. And I remember just walking with my friends. It's like, this is just one of those unique, special moments. I remember getting home and, and, and kind of just still feeling, you know, the joy of it. And, and then it was around 5 o'clock, 5.30, when my parents started to arrive. And my grandfather lived with us as well as who I was with. And I remember my parents arriving, and immediately something changed inside of me. I, I started to feel a little bit tense. I started to feel a little bit mm, paranoid. I, I, I was almost waiting for them to come in, open the door, look at me, and say, I know what you did. And I remember watching them, and they did nothing of the sort. They just kind of said hi and asked me how my day was. It was good, and kept on going. Then we got to dinner time. I remember sitting at the dinner table, and I, I used to be pretty, I was pretty hyper. I know it's hard to imagine, but I remember just sitting there at the, <laughs> at the table, not that way, and they didn't really notice anything. And I just kind of was just waiting for the hammer to drop. I was waiting for them to kind of catch me and let me know, give me my quarters back or something of that nature. And I remember sitting there, but it didn't come. And then I did my homework and did everything I needed to do, watched a little bit of TV, was told it's bedtime, went to bed, got in my sheets, realized I didn't get caught. I didn't. That night, 
I didn't get caught that night. Because what happened was the following week, all those anxiety, all that fear, kind of, I forgot about it. I, all I remember is Wednesday morning was here and the ice cream truck's coming and, and I had timed my parents' routines in a way that I knew which way to go. So I remember stealthily getting up there, getting my dollar twenty-five, going to school, re-enjoying this it's it. And, and this happened again. And then I, I, it was less and less anxious when they got home. And then the third week came around and I, I went ahead and got a dollar twenty-five again and enjoyed another it's it. And this was like, I'm on a roll. Maybe next week I'll get money for my friends. This is, this is great. And I remember just at the turn of the fourth week sitting there and it was kind of, I think it was a Monday or Tuesday. And I remember my father coming home and, and him going upstairs. And I, I, I just was sitting in the living room downstairs. And then all of a sudden I heard a, a shutting of the drawer and, and my, my dad calling me upstairs. And I went upstairs and he says, uh, son, uh, just have a seat right there. I, was like, okay. I, got, I sat down and he says, son, son do, you, um, do you know where my quarters went? <laughs> Do you know what happened to my quarters? And, uh, and I remember just sitting there. This moment hit me. Started sweating, feeling afraid. I said, "No, um, no, I don't. I don't know where your quarters went, Dad. You have quarters? Um, uh, yeah, yeah, I have quarters. Do you think your mom took them?" I said, "Yeah, I think." Um, <laughs> You should ask her, Dad. I think she took your quarters. Uh, she may have needed them or something. I, and he says, OK, I'll go check with her. Just wait right here. And I remember him getting up, and I just, I just was wishing, uh, oh, that, that my mom would have taken one. That would have covered everything. <laughs> and uh, he comes back, and he says, no, you know, I just checked. She didn't take anything. Um, do you think your grandfather took the quarters? <laughs> and I just, I couldn't do it. I couldn't accuse him, so I. No, Dad, I don't think he took them. Hmm. Well, it's, it's, it's you, it's your mom, your grandfather, and me who live in this house. Who, who could have taken the quarters? I didn't use them. Do you think it was a dog, Rufo? Do you think dog? Uh... I said, no. And all of a sudden, I just started sweating. I just looked down. I had just been caught. So I just looked down, didn't say a word. And I remember him getting down to my level. And what he said, actually, it has stuck with me throughout the years. He says, you know what my concern is, Lewis, is that uh, you're more afraid of getting caught than you are of stealing. Those quarters didn't belong to you. You took them. You weren't afraid to do that. But you're afraid of being punished for it. And that concerns me. Because I'm your father, and I love you. And you're my son. And so you are going to suffer some consequences. You will be punished for this. But that's not even exactly what I want you to hear. I want you to hear this. And I remember him saying this. You see, if I don't give you consequences, if I don't correct this in you right now, if we don't deal with this, what's going to happen? is this quarter tomorrow will turn into a dollar. And that dollar, as you get older, will turn into other people's possessions. And before you know it, you will no longer be living under my roof. And you will be an adult who is comfortable, who's okay with taking other people's stuff. And one day, somebody will punish you for it. But they will not punish you because they love you. They will punish you because you did not listen 
to the one who does. They will punish you because you did not listen to the one who does. And I remember sitting there, just deeply impressed. I just, he was, he, he was good at what he did there. Because all of a sudden, I realized he's doing this because he loves me. And I just started crying, like really crying, like boogers everywhere, you know. <laughs> started apologizing loudly, you know, sorry, sorry. Deep inside, wondering if that would alleviate things. It didn't, I was punished. The thing is, I don't remember what the consequences were. Ah, it's over two decades later, and I don't remember the consequences. I don't remember the punishment. What I do remember is that I was corrected because I was loved. And we may not all be able to point to a healthy father in our lives. We may not be able to have that in our, in our natural lives. But can we hear this? At the minute we say, Jesus, I embrace you in my life, we are then introduced to his father, who becomes our heavenly father, the healthiest of fathers, who longs for us to live and walk in a path that leads to life. And along the way, he will, because of his love for us, correct us, redirect us, discipline us, perhaps even punish us. Because he loves us. And the wisdom shows up and being open to his course corrections. It's how we respond. That, that, that makes all the difference. How we respond makes all the difference. And this is the very thing that the author of this, this letter to this group of believers, that the letter is called Hebrews. And if you open up your hand, this is the very thing he is seeking to communicate. That there is wisdom in being open to his course corrections and and we'll just step into this letter together. We're, we're told in verse 1 of the, of the 12th chapter, in this midsection of the letter, he says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, since, since we have such a deep heritage, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance. Can we see the path, the race God has set before us? Let us run with endurance. Let us remain in this path of life that God has set before us. How do we do this? He says in verse 2, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. He is the only one who has perfectly walked this out. He is the one. So because of the joy, how did he do this? He, because of the joy awaiting him, he, he endured the cross, he disregarding its shame, and now he is seated in the place of honor because, besides God's throne. What is he saying? He's reminding us the way we are to walk into this is to remind ourselves, to set ourselves on the one who came and bore all the brokenness upon himself and all that was wrong with the world upon himself on the cross. And he completed the path that leads to life. And as we step into this, if we could just remove the distractions and the things that weigh us down and remain focused on the one who completed it perfectly, then can we see his destination is the place of highest satisfaction, the place of highest embrace and acceptance. It is right be beside our Father. That is, that, is, that is our path. 
the path that leads to life. And what we see here is in this letter, see, this, this author knew a lot more about the situation he, of the people he was writing to than we can surmise. But what we can see is that the people he was writing to, they were, they were actually suffering a degree of pain in their lives. They, there were certain challenges they were facing. There were certain things going on. And this author ended up saying, you know what, I think in this situation, God is intimately involved for a reason. God is actually doing something through this, much like a surgeon would intentionally move into certain things. God is actually operating, involving himself in this unique situation, which means a couple things we have to establish. One, he is speaking to people who have already said they believe in Jesus, which means he's not addressing the brokenness and the suffering of the world or, or, or the pain that is a result of bad choices that we either do or people have done upon us. He's saying, no, 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 this is, this is, this is different than that, which, by the way, is the very reason Jesus came, to answer the deepest cry of the human heart. To rectify what could never be rectified by us. But see, in this situation, what is he saying? He's saying uh, there are moments in our lives where what we are facing, the frustration we may be feeling, may actually be because God loves us. And he's trying to course correct our lives. So he says, he says this, in light of that, Don't forget a couple things. He says, verse 5, he says, Have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? These words meant to give you strength. These words meant to inspire and encourage you, meant to give you courage. Have you forgotten these words? Because he said this, and then he quotes Proverbs 3, 11, and 12. He, he says, my child, he said this. God has said this through his word. My child, don't make light of the Lord's Discipline. Don't disregard it easily. And don't give up when he corrects you. Let's not throw in the towel and say, gosh, you know what? Forget it then. Why try? Don't do that. Just don't do that. He says, look, for the Lord disciplines those he loves. He does this because he loves us. Not because he's angry, not because he's rejecting or forsaking us, but as a result of his intimate interest in our lives. He says, and he punishes the rather severe word, each one he accepts as his child. That that the acceptance has already happened. That he is already embracing us. And so he will seek to correct our path along the way. He says, as you endure this divine discipline, As you remain open to it, remember that God is treating you as his own children. And he drops them into an assumption. He makes an assumption that they would readily understand a healthy father-child dynamic. A dynamic that many of us may not be able to say we understand based on experience. For surely we can see the Wisdom in the healthiest of relationships, in the healthiest of contexts, in the healthiest of dynamics. And so he's assuming that we would see it in the healthiest of manners. He says, listen, whoever heard of a child who is never disciplined by its father, when the father loves the child, when the father is present in the child's life, whoever heard of this? No one. 
He said, if God doesn't discipline you as he does all his children, well, it means that you are illegitimate and not really his children at all, which is not the father's heart. He will never forsake his role as, his, as our parent. They will never give up the responsibility he has to watch for us, to care for us, to guide us, to protect us. That he is the one who will never, ever turn back on his embrace, on his claim that we are his children. See, it is the best father we can ever encounter. This is not the case, he's saying. He says, listen, since we respected, again, in the healthiest of contexts, we respected our earthly fathers who, who disciplined us. Shouldn't we submit even more to the correction, the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? In the best of relationships, we, we respected our father. That's what he said. And yet they are imperfect. How much more when it's a father who is more gentle and tender, without any blemish, without any inconsistency, who is perfect in everything, how much more should we trust him and return back to this path that leads to life eternal? Do we hear the wisdom of being open? He says, look, our earthly fathers, they, they did this. They disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how, but again, in the best of circumstances. But God's discipline is always good for us. He always has our best interest in mind. It is good for us so that we may share in his holiness. We may share in his satisfaction, in his wholeness, in all that is of him. See, no discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. There's no way around it. Oh, but to those of us who remain open, who, who exercise wisdom when this happens to us, he says afterwards, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained by it. See, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained by it. There is good fruit if we exercise the wisdom of being open to his course corrections. And I was just thinking about this. There's so much for us to consider. And I just have a couple thoughts for us to maybe try to seek to live out Gain some wisdom for our living. Firstly, wisdom through this passage, it reminds us of a couple things. One, it reminds us that whenever we hear the Lord's course corrections, we are to hear them within the context of a loving father-child dynamic. That that is the place we are supposed to run to. That that is the context, the environment, the, the situation in which he may offer a word that may, may cause us to redirect our path. Now, I, I recently had a professor who, who gave me somewhat of a, a mental picture of what this might be like. He says, listen, if, if, we, if we see God who is above, right, and we hear something of his impression in our lives correcting us, we read his word, we hear something that he is saying, we need to deal with this. This is, needs to be corrected. This needs to be, you know, it might be almost like a challenging, dis uncomfortable word. Well, immediately, what we should do is run to that place of remembering that we are his children. We're to run to that place. And he says, because that is a place of relationship. And we're going to remind ourselves that, um, that the minute we embrace Jesus, his only begotten son, all the pleasure that Jesus received is ours to receive as well. That we are already accepted. That we are already embraced by him. That his name is resting upon us. Not because of what we've done, because we've never been able to win his, we've never been able to climb that ladder. 
That's why we need Jesus in the first place. And so we are to run to that place and receive his embrace. And this is the very thing. If you could hear this, I, I believe my, I heard words, I heard warnings, but really what I heard was a, a father speaking to me. Words that I think we all need to hear in some way, shape, or form. Our Heavenly Father speaking to us that we are safe. You're safe here. You're secure here. You are so known and so loved. My name rests upon you. And this is not because I reject you or I'm angry with you or I'm trying to shame you or embarrass you. This is because I love you. I love you. And if we receive that, some of us, that is, that is the deepest yearning of our heart, is it not? And then we will be more than willing to obey, not because we know it's right, but because we are loved right. There's wisdom in running to this place of remembering Correction is never given. It's always given in the place of relationship. Secondly, wisdom reminds us. It reminds us that God longs to discipline us for the, for the sake of course correcting. Why? To do a couple things. One, to work things out of us and to work things into us. Now, I think of this this way. There, there are times when we may read his word and we may feel uncomfortable inside. Now, there is something of a inward conviction, that, that we may read it, and it's almost like a mirror, James says. It's a mirror that ends up reflecting certain things about us, and, and internally, we may see our soul being reflected. We get red as we read, and what happens is that God, in those moments, he, saw, he longs to say, listen, this attitude right here, let's, let's make an adjustment here. This, this way of thinking, this way of relating, these motives that you have, let's, let's work on this. Let's go back to the path that leads to life. Let's, let's work on this, and so there might be an internal sense of working things out of us, ways of being that we've become accustomed to, ways of, of operating, a certain lens that we wear. And God may be saying, no, 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 let's reinterpret this. Let's go back to this place because you are my child and I am your father and I love you more than you possibly know. And so I will reveal you to yourself. Or, or it may be a little bit more. It may be an external circumstance. It may be because... Uh, out of his love for us, he may allow certain things that will make us extremely uncomfortable and we may have consequences. We may have things that alert us and wake us up because he is actually trying to get our attention. There may be external ways that he longs to say, let's make this a thing of the past. Let's move forward. Let's go back to this path that leads to life. It might be things he works out of us, or it might be things he works into us. I, I personally love the World Cup. I, I enjoy any highlight I could see. I loved seeing the couple U.S. games and how exhilarating they were and seeing people do some pretty amazing things. And what we see there is what? We see talent. But what's the difference between that talent and everyone else's talent? Well, that talent actually applied discipline. And they said, we have a path. We have a direction we're going to go, and so we're going to impose discipline on ourselves. And we're going to restructure our lives. We're going to train a certain way. And we're going to develop certain skills and habits. And we're going to 
strengthen what we have? Can we hear the Lord asking us, maybe on this weekend, in the very middle of our year, with half a year left, he may be saying, let's make some course corrections. And this half of the year, let's, let's develop certain skills of learning how to walk spiritually with me, of learning how to read my word maybe a little bit more intentionally, of learning how to live with me in day in and day out basis throughout your day. Maybe there are certain things he wants to work into us so that we can walk strongly on this path that leads to life. See, God is always in this process of developing us more and more into the children. He knows, he loves, he wants us to be. If we do this, we end up stepping into the reality that we get a harvest. We get to taste the great fruit, the good fruit, because wisdom reminds us that there is strength, peace, and life in the course-corrected path. It reminds us, this is our final thought, that there is strength, peace, and life in the course-corrected path. I, I personally love biographies, uh, historical narratives. I, I, I love just kind of hearing, especially if the author is pretty good at communicating certain things, puts you there. And one of, the, one of the books that I read several years ago that kind of I found compelling, I think will serve as somewhat of a parable, what we're talking about, and it's this book called uh, The Last Place on Earth. And it's about a race that happened in the early 1900s to be the first team to arrive to the South Pole. And it, was, it happened between two different types of leaders, two different types of walking through a path. See, one, his name was Robert Falcon Scott. He was, he was of the British team, and he and his team were desiring to get to the South Pole first. And then there was a Norwegian team who, whose name was Roald, led by Roald Amundsen. And what we're told is that on October 1911, they both sat at the edge of the Antarctic. And within days of each other, they left on this race to be the first to get there. Amundsen and his team ended up arriving first, planted a Norwegian flag, and, and in, in a spectacular way, he ended up returning with his whole team alive to Framheim, their base camp at the edge of the Antarctic, at the very same date he had predicted they would. Scott and his team, they arrived 33 days later after Amundsen to the South Pole, saw the Norwegian flag, knew they had come in second. And they did not make it back. He and his entire team ended, ended up dying 11 miles short of a storage depot of food that they had planted there in advance. And the book illustrates that what happened here was not necessarily, everything that happened was, was more in the preparation phases. That one was open to course corrections and one was not. And what we're told is that Scott had a way about him. He had an arrogant air about him that he always was convinced he knew the best way. He, he was the one who was deciding these things and he knew best. And so he came up with a plan, and he particularly in two different ways, in transportation and in food. He decided he would invest energy and money and resource into technology. And so he ended up buying motor sledges, untested motor sledges. And just in case something happened with them, he ended up getting ponies. 
as his plan B, as his backup plan. And, and, and at, along the way, as they're doing this, different people in his team started questioning his, his, the logic behind this, whether or not this is the smartest thing to do. And immediately, he would always become offen offended and defensive. How, how dare you ask? This is the way to do it. And, and he would always not be open. And it made it just apparently clear that he would not be open to any, any adjustments. And the second place was in how much food he gave himself. See, each team ended up depositing. They hiked out into the Antarctic, and they deposited storage bins of food, and they planted flags to let them know that's where the food was so that they could, along the way, energize themselves, make it to the South Pole, come back, energize themselves, and make it all the way back home. And he decided to keep very, very tiny margins on this. People wondered if this is the smartest way to do it. And again, he resisted. He did not become open to the logic he was being offered. And what ended up happening is, those motor sledges, early on in their journey, the, the freezing temperatures of the Antarctic ended up cracking the engine blocks of the motor sledges, and they become unusable. And so they went to plan B, and they got onto ponies, and they started hauling all their equipment through the ponies. But ponies sweat. And the Antarctic has 30-mile winds and negative 40-degree temperatures. And so what do you get with 30-mile winds, negative 40-degree temperatures, and sweaty ponies? You get frozen ponies. <laughs> they all died. And so they went, I know. But they went to Plan C. They decided they would manhaul all their equipment, a distance equal from New York to Chicago and back. And they set themselves already committed on this journey to haul their equipment all the way to the South Pole. Getting more and more injuries happened. People got fatigued. And when they got there, they were extremely discouraged. They both experienced the extreme temperature. They both experienced the same dynamics. But they, on the way back, ended up not being able to find the different food storage bins. And they had a very difficult time. They ended up using a lot of energy just trying to find where they had deposited their food. And they died 11 miles short. Amundsen. Munson also had a plan. See, Munson, he also wanted to invest into technology. He also wanted to have an advantage. But he also had um, more of a degree of comfort with ponies and horses. And that was his plan. He arranged his plan. But before he assumed that he knew what was best, he decided to figure out how to learn from those who have inhabited that environment for ages. And so he went north, and he moved in with the Eskimos. And he learned from them. And he watched them. And he lived among them. And, and, they, and he, they told him, Roll, don't buy ponies. Get dogs. Get dogs with sleds, and we'll teach you how to, how to ride them, and we'll teach you how to, how to take care of them, and, and we'll teach you how to read them and, and gain their trust. And so he trained, him and his team trained, on how to go dog sledding. And in the midst of this, they started showing him how they made their clothing so that it would be able to insulate them without adding weight. And they showed him how to process food differently. And they showed him how to keep everything together. They also showed him, they also told him, listen, Roll, you just never know when a storm is coming. And so you, shouldn't, you should make sure that if you, you put an abundance of anything, put an abundance of food, and make sure that you can see it from afar. And so he put a five-mile radius around each storage bin with flags and a way tail looking so that he, even though he was miles away, he would see hope is right there. And he ended up moving through, him and his team, 20 miles a day, 
Because along the way, he made course corrections. Along the way, he was open to people's input. Along the way, he realized, there are others who know better than me. There are others who understand this terrain more than I. Can you hear this? God, who has been here before us, who will be here long after we are walking on this earth, he knows this terrain. He knows this environment. He knows this path. May we be open to his course corrections. May we be the ones who taste the fruit of strength, strength for the journey we have been embarked on, peace, because we know that he is with us each step of the way, and life, because that is the destination he has for us. May we exercise wisdom for living. May we be open to his course corrections. May this be the case for us. In a moment, we're going to have our time of giving, and the band is going to come and close us with a song that reminds us of who we are in the context of everything that we have discussed. It's in relationship as his child. Let's, let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you that you do not, uh, you do not simply give us words or rules you give us yourself. You give us a relationship in, what, in which you love us deeply, enough to die for us. And you long for us to walk this out and to live on the path that leads to life. I pray that you would help us, God, when, when we may sense you correcting our way, when we sense something of your discipline, I pray that you would help us exercise wisdom Help us run into your embrace as your child. Help us hear your words of grace over us. And help us respond. Help us be open to your course corrections. That we may taste strength, peace, and life. We, we pray for this, Lord. In Jesus' name.